I want us to become brothers again like we used to be, and for us to find ourselves and bond with each other. Can we agree to that? Opinions vary. Welcome to Three Brothers Filmcast, where the brothers behind threebrothersfilm.com get together to have substantial, nuanced conversations about film. We appreciate all your support this past year. As we mark one year of the podcast this month, and nearly 11 years of the website, we're excited about what we have in store for you in 2022. Don't want to say too much at this point, but we have some exciting new plans in development for Three Brothers Film, such as with our new Three Brothers Film channel we've made on YouTube. If you like what we've you've been hearing, please consider subscribing, giving us a five-star rating, and leaving a review. If you've enjoyed our conversations and writing, please consider supporting us on Patreon. We just launched our Patreon and will eventually establish special content for subscribers. But if you'd like to support us at the end of the year, we'd very much appreciate that as we develop new ways to keep great conversation about film thriving. I'm Anton Bergstrom, and I'm here with my brothers. Anders. And Aaron. My last name is the same as my brother's. And this week we're talking about the biggest rock and roll movie to land in a long time. The Beatles Get Back is Peter Jackson's three-part miniseries re-edit of the roughly 60 hours of film footage and 150 hours of audio recordings captured during the development of both the album and original documentary Let It Be in January 1969. For our one-year anniversary episode, we're also happy to announce our first guest on Three Brothers Filmcast, Jesse Hutchison from the J. Hutch Talks Too Much podcast. Jesse, welcome. Thanks so much for having me. I, I feel like an honorary Bergstrom brother today. Awesome, awesome. Great to have you here. Okay, Ramblers, let's get rambling. We're talking about 14 songs we hope to get. I've got a feeling. How many have we already recorded good enough? None. Oh, yeah. None of us has had the idea of what the show's going to be. I've got a feeling. I would dig to play on the stage, you know. Nobody else wants to do a show. I think we've got a bit shy. Oh, no! yeah! Yeah! What could it be? Paul, something in the way she moves. Hmm? What attracted me at all? Just say whatever comes into your head each time attracts me like a cauliflower until you get the word. The Beatles Get Back, which premiered on Disney Plus on November 25th through 27th, marks two important developments in film. The first is the obvious, the return of the Fab Four to the world of film, or whatever we're calling streaming visual narrative content these days. The second is the seeming transition of Peter Jackson, of splatter whore and Lord of the Rings fame, into one of our most important new documentarians. In January 1969, the Beatles find themselves somewhat astray after the tumultuous production of the White Album. The group hopes to refocus around a multi-stranded project, a new album, the rehearsal and recording of which will be shot and turned into a TV production. There are also various plans about either a live concert or a live studio show capping off the process. In the end, on the second last day of recording, the Beatles performed their famous concert on the rooftop of Apple headquarters, which turned out to be their last live performance together. Michael Lindsay Hogg, who directed the original footage, turned it into the Beatles' final feature film, Let It Be, released in 1970. In subsequent years, that film has never been easy to track down. I myself have never actually seen it. And its portrayal of a group apparently pulling themselves apart has long haunted the story of the breakup of the band. 2021's Get Back is the result of the careful re-editing of the footage and audio recordings into a three-part miniseries. Part one, which covers days one through seven, takes place in the large, empty space of Twickenham Studios. Part two, which covers days eight through 16, 
depicts the Beatles' move to their basement studio at Apple headquarters. Part 3, focusing on days 17 to 22, largely revolves around the rooftop performance, which serves as the climax to the series. Peter Jackson's first foray into film documentary was 2018's We Shall Not Grow Old, which took old footage and recordings from the First World War, carefully restored and colorized them, and then put them together into a documentary focusing on the first-hand experience of the soldiers, chiefly British. In many ways, The Beatles' Get Back can be viewed as a continuation of Jackson's approach to, to documentary. Of course, reliance on archival footage is not a new thing in documentaries, but it's the addition of Jackson and Company's amazing restoration work that makes his archival assemblages such novel experiences, both of the footage and of how we think about the persons being depicted. I thought We Shall Not Grow Old was brilliant at recovering the human experience of World War I, and as a long-time Beatles fan, I was thrilled to see John, Paul, George, and Ringo in startling clarity and candid interaction. The footage for Get Back was largely shot on 16mm at the time, and it looks terrific on my 4K TV. It also sounds really good. So, as with The Lord of the Rings, Jackson and his New Zealand team are fully in command of the technical side of film and pioneering new techniques. But Get Back is also, in a strange way, a remake. A remake of the seldom-seen feature Let It Be, directed by Michael Lindsay Hogg, who features as a major figure within this film. After the four Beatles, he's probably the most important, or at least up there with R&B keyboardist Billy Preston, recording technician Glenn Johns, and producer George Martin. We also see Linda, Yoko Ono, the Beatles' longtime road manager Mal, personal favorite of mine in the show, and the assortment of other production assistants in 1960s music and film personalities. So gentlemen, we're all Beatles fans here, and up front I want to make sure we can cover a few different directions with Get Back, since it would be so easy to just talk Beatles music all night. I want to make sure, though, we also talk about the film not only as a Beatles movie, but also as a documentary by Peter Jackson. But to start things off, why doesn't each of you begin with a quick summary of where you approached the film in terms of thoughts on the Beatles and what you thought about this miniseries overall? Also, maybe mention if you've seen the original Let It Be. Then we can move into a discussion of Peter Jackson, the different episodes or parts of the documentary, and other aspects. Jesse, as the guest, would you like to start things off? Yeah, thanks. So I would say one of my earliest memories, just as a person, is of being maybe about three years old and putting the vinyl Let It Be uh, album onto a record player and oh, playing wow. it. Yeah. So that's one of my very earliest memories. And then... Um, I don't know at what point I, I saw the first movie, but a cousin of mine put it onto a VHS tape, and uh, I might still have that VHS tape here in the uh, apartment uh, right now, but nothing to watch it on, unfortunately. <laughs> but I watched it for many years, many times, um, and then for a while I, I you know I took a pretty long break from it, I think when I was a teenager, and I watched it again in my early 20s, and it struck me how because I was watching it with a friend of mine and when you watch it with somebody else it kind of takes on a different sort of feeling and uh, I it was then I where I kind of recognized this is a this might be a pretty boring movie to to other people <laughs> and that was the last time I watched it I never watched it again after that and then I heard I guess I think it was in 2019 when when this this version was announced this remake and at that point it was just supposed to be a two-hour 
um, theatrical release. But <laughs> this sounds a little crazy. bit like Peter Jackson. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does. Goes from two hour theatrical release to a seven plus hour uh, three part series. It was uh, I was excited for it then, and um, I'm always excited for pretty much any kind of new Beatles material that's coming out. So, um, so uh, I was excited from it right from the beginning. And then, as you just hear that it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger as time goes on, it gets more and more exciting. And I, I've I've said that you know people have asked me, are you upset that you can't see this movie in the theater? But I was only getting more excited about it because everything you heard was, yes, it's not going to be in the theater, but it's going to be on Disney Plus and it's going to be much longer than we initially said mm -hmm. it was going to be. So to me, it only ever got more exciting as you heard more about it. And then, you know, coming up to the to even I think that week, the week that it it came out on Disney Plus at that point the last I had heard it was it was supposed to be six hours so even up until basically the last minute it was <laughs> it was getting longer and longer it was it was I think as exciting to watch as I had anticipated it was it was going to be so um, it was a very exciting experience for me excellent yeah Anders what do you what did you think uh, I was very excited about it um, to me growing up the Beatles were one of the first sort of non kid bands that I really got into I think Uncle David gave me a copy of uh, Hard Day's Night and then I later got a hold of uh, Sgt. Pepper pretty at a pretty young age I think you know maybe 10 11 that was that so those were you know important albums for me and the Beatles became one of those through high school and into early university one of those you know bands that I really uh, you know gravitated to and thought were like absolute musical geniuses and influenced a lot of what I thought you know about pop music and my understanding of you know what it, what it can possibly be um, I, I've only seen little bits and clips of the original Get Back documentaries or Let It Be documentary sorry so um, you know I was expect I wasn't didn't have any preconceptions about what happens or or how it would go so I was really excited to get this sort of behind the scenes kind of look rather than the sort of edited late 60s you know rock documentary kind of thing and, and you know the, I love those some of those early Beatles movies I love Hard Day's Night uh, you know you know in that time in university uh, you know I think a friend showed uh, lent me a copy of uh, the Magical Mystery Tour, and so I, I understood <laughs> yep, that not every yep. not everything that the Beatles do would turn to, to pure gold. But but we regardlessly, ha regardless, have interest uh, nonetheless to me, right? And then the very fact is Peter Jackson, right? So we you know we'll we'll talk later this episode about you know Peter Jackson and what he means in terms of being a filmmaker, uh, an epic filmmaker in many ways, in in length and his approach to to things. And then I all, like you, Anton. I, I really admired his. Uh, World War One documentary. I think I think it's very interesting, um, and so you know, yeah, I, I was very excited for Get Back, and you know, the trailer, the initial trailer when it dropped was like made me think, okay, this is going to be one of the most exciting things of the year. And were you satisfied? Yeah, I I think it's one of the the filmic events of the year for me, definitely. Aaron, I love the Beatles, and obviously they're like a formative band, and I still listen to them all the time, and I know all the songs. You know, just coming into liking Beatles at the right time, so. The whole teen years is even when you get into other things you're always defined by that kind of early appreciation for them yeah and it shapes how you think of a rock group shapes how you think about rock music shapes how you think of just celebrity in general but all that being said i wasn't like super excited for this not because of any like 
trepidation about the project, about the length, any of those things. It was just like, oh, it's being dumped in December on a streaming service and it's really long and how am I going to fit this in? And that's kind of my thought, right? <laughs> and we, we've talked a lot on this podcast, right, about how streaming projects seem to be unnecessarily long. Like, why is every movie on Netflix at least 130 minutes? There's no reason, right? And so yeah. I start to get influenced by the larger body of of streaming work and I think it made this actual film when I watched it like it I was taken aback by it because of how much it's not what I thought it was going to be and how much more rich and rewarding it was not only as kind of insight into these characters a corrective in some ways to some of the narratives that have built up over 50 years about how they broke up about how their interactions with each other who you know who broke up the Beatles the idea of like well, it was Yoko. Yoko broke up the Beatles. It's like, well, no, if anybody actually broke up the Beatles, it was Paul. But, <laughs> like, it's, you know, it's it's these very strong personalities, but they are defined in different ways and they clash in different ways. But, so it, it, it redefines some of that things, but it also works so much as a very fly-on-the-wall, hands-off documentary. Like, the amount of detail you get here, you would never get in a two-hour movie. So I don't know why they would ever make a two-hour film of this. I've I've seen the one hour twenty minute like old nineteen seventy documentary, which I find fun, but also especially in light of this project, quite unsatisfying because you don't get any context for any of the songs and you don't get any of the payoff. So is the and original so, let it be about eighty minutes? Yeah, it's eighty okay. minutes. Yeah, and it you know it you can see the skeleton of that movie in this one. It works in some of the same ways, but then there's little choices like that movie ends on the rooftop concert, even though they did stuff after. And so this one kind of reshuffles mm. some of that. But just to let you guys in, like I'm not going to capitalize this the whole time, but basically I find this movie in the, the breakup into three parts and in the amount of time that it lets you sit with these you know, musicians working out their issues with each other and working out the music, it has an extreme amount of like process, experimentation, and then a huge payoff. And the actual concert that ends the movie is so satisfying because you've seen them work out these songs and the repetition doesn't mean that you're like cued out, you know, like you're not like, oh, I've heard Get Back a dozen times at this point. I don't yeah, need to more, hear it again. More it's more of like, dozen. it's like, oh, all that work goes into putting this where you're like, bam, that's the song. And you, your mind kind of as they're playing it on the rooftop goes back through all the iterations that you've heard before and you start to understand something about the creative process not in a you know like text on the screen explaining it but like an emotional sense i think you're right about the the length does give the film a certain payoff in the sense that um i think the experience of that final concert is enriched by the sense that we feel like we've with by being this long, we actually feel like we've experienced the creative process, not just snippets of it, but we actually sort of feel like we've been there while they're like literally writing the song and get back, you know, the song where we actually see like the genesis in Paul sort of coming up with it and then rehearsing it so many different times. Um, but my, like my overall view of this is um, I think it's a success. Um, I think there's some amazing material. I think part three blew me away. I do have some concerns about the three-part structure. Um, and I'll also say that, like, I didn't actually know this movie was coming out until, like, I don't know, it was, like, a month and a half ago when Anders was like, hey, uh, you excited about Get Back? And I was like, what's Get Back? And he's like, come on, Peter Jackson's new. And I was like, what? And he's like, <laughs> no, it's the Beatles thing he's making. And I was like, what? <laughs> so I had no idea this was coming out. Because um, basically uh, Anders and Aaron are, like, my para 
memory for like what's coming out on film. Um, <laughs> yeah, so like I didn't have this huge build up to it, and I've never actually seen the original Let It Be, but um, it was fascinating to sort of like I feel like I was kind of thrown back into high school watching this. Um, like I've always been a big Beatles fan since probably like late grade school, um, but like in high school I got really into them, and you know, reading up around the stories behind all the songs. So it really sort of uh, rekindled a lot of those like past experiences. And so it was, it was interesting. The experience for me of watching the film was both like a throwback to being like, oh, wow, like here's this like super restored, amazing, clear, candid conversations between these musicians who I love, but also like a rekindling of my own personal experience with the music. And maybe my biggest takeaway for the film and I would like to talk to you guys about whether you think the three-part works as a miniseries or... Um, but my biggest takeaway from this film is I was like, it's like the pleasure of seeing um, creation or like creativity. And watching it, I was just like, oh man, like I miss... Uh, like, you know, I have a, I have a film criticism podcast. Uh, like I miss being on the creative side of things uh, as the, like, the primary... Um, the, like the just hanging out with people actually trying to like make something and it was just like there's so much joy in seeing seeing them create and I was like this might be the kind of movie I throw on when I'm like trying to do some creative work just to stimulate and like you pick up on the vibe of like hanging out with them. I think we've uh, mentioned a few times that Get Back is kind of a a vibes movie to use the parlance of our time. Yeah, you texted that like I don't know how many times you said <laughs> vibes in your text. But it, it really vibes that great. you know but if you're gonna eat I mean it, it, what, uh, what, uh, I can't think of anything better to actually uh, encapsulate what that means, right? Because like the idea of a vibration, the idea of the music, the way it moves and transcends space, right? I mean, you're, it does. It sounds cliche, but it feels like you're in the room with them, right? Would you guys agree? Yeah, I, I would say so. I mean, yeah. I, I was gonna say like a, a you know, part probably a, uh, a fantasy of mine since I was a kid. If anybody asked, like, if you could go back to any time where would you go? And it would be to go back to the 1960s and try to hang out with the Beatles. Both of those things seemingly impossible. Even if you can get a time machine and go back yeah. in time to actually mm -hmm. manage to hang out with the Beatles would be another thing altogether. <laughs> but um, I think that this is the closest to that experience that I think we're ever going to get. And it's kind of amazing that we that it took until 2021 to, to get that sort of feeling and there's been a lot of great mm -hmm. Beatles projects over the years but I think this is really the closest that we've ever gotten and that we're ever going to get to an experience like that of being in the same room and and, and finding out what these guys were really like can I can I ask a question of each of you because I know Jesse that you've watched if not all of it a couple times at this yeah, point yeah, yeah. Um, what how did each of you uh, watch it um, like did you watch the full two and two two and a half hour episodes in one sitting did you break it up into smaller than three-part structure because i i basically would put it on for after watching the initial episode with with uh, anton and jesse the watching the um subsequent episodes i broke them in two roughly and, and watched them in the evening you know as a way to unwind um and and you know it was amazing you know late at night you're tired it they they kept my attention and it kind of enveloped me in the you know i kind of went to sleep almost with them not actually falling asleep, but like that was the last thing before I would go to bed, and it kind of came to permeate my whole week. You know, what was it? Two weeks ago when it came out, and mm -hmm. I think that also shaped that that feeling of entering into it. It kind of you know, and then during the day I would listen to the the newly released recordings that you know are available on like Spotify uh, and Apple right now. Um, 
so how did how did you guys experience the actual film? So you feel like kind of like your week was almost like tuned to them. That's yeah, really cool. Definitely, um, yeah. I mean, yeah, like I watched the first episode with you and Jesse. Uh, I broke up the second episode, which at three hour, almost three hours is really hard for me to do in one sitting. Um, and this sort of gets to like one of my criticisms is just that like, like I've been kind of an advocate even on the podcast of breaking up some of these longer films like the Justice League, you know, like it breaks out nicely into sort of different episodes. But on a movie like or a movie miniseries, whatever we're calling this, I don't understand why you would put together a part two that's three hours when you when you can have any format you want. Like, I understand that with the final episode, you'd probably want a longer to capture a lead up and then have the full, you know, 42 minutes that is the concert. But but why wouldn't you just do like hour and a half episodes? Um, I know like he sort of has this idea that like the first part ends with uh, George, um, you know, quitting the band. There's sort of like they move from Twickenham to uh, Apple Studios in the second episode, but I still I still think you could probably could have put together almost a, a more episode miniseries, and I don't quite understand the three parts, and I actually think that a three-hour episode is maybe a detriment. Well, I, I will say this about the three-hour, about episode two. Um, it's definitely the one where it's hard to kind of explain what happens in the, in that in those three hours, aside from Billy Preston yeah. shows up and turns things around, and that's and that's a kind of significant moment, I think, yeah. in that in those three hours. But actually, just before we we started this, I I put on episode two just to have it on, and uh, I just checked, yeah. and it's forty minutes in, and they still haven't done anything yet. Really, we're about forty minutes in, and and they haven't recorded anything. They're sitting around waiting for George. They go to the a new studio. If they find out that they can't record there, so they have to wait a day. They come back the next day, but the cameras can't come in. Come back the next yeah. day, and the studio still isn't set up right. And but, you know, I think as Anders said, I think that there's definitely, I think there's a distinct tone to all three of the episodes. And the the first tone I think is very much sort of fraught with with kind of drama. Yep. And the third one is is that kind of relief that, that Aaron was talking about. And I think the second one is really just a kind of like a sort of waiting around to see sort of what happens. Uh, and you need sort of that time period, I think. And, and it's an interesting, you would think it'd be a, a boring tone and maybe to a non fan it is, but for me, it's just kind of fascinating to, to in that second episode to just sort of watch them almost flounder for a little bit. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of, to me, quite fascinating to watch. So I can see what you're saying about the length of the episodes, but to me, each one has its own sort of distinct character to it. I mean, I just like him in our band, actually. Yeah. I like a fifth Beatle. I mean, a twig up suddenly there was three, and then there's four, and there's five. <laughs> we can do that as well. You know, I asked Dylan to join the Beatles, yeah. and he would as well, you know, and we get, get them all in it. Mm. You know, just we have a feeling to join the Beatles. <laughs> We'd call it the Beatles and Cove, that'd be our band. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to pepper's lonely arts, good band, isn't it? Yeah. We'd get them all. I just don't because it's just bad enough for four. <laughs> Taking archival footage, right, like you're in some sense discovering if there's a narrative there. And interestingly, like uh, uh, the director, right, like Michael Hogg is talking about that within the film about like having to f discover kind of the narrative of how he's going to make his movie. 
but I guess so you see that Jackson's found kind of like three th- at least themes to work out to govern these parts around. I don't know, Aaron, what do you what do you think? Where do you stand on this? Um well so I watched it kind of weird where I, I broke up the first episode. Okay. But then I watched part two, part three in one sitting each. But not together. And like No, not yeah, together, okay. like on different yeah. nights. But I so I think um, just to jump like between various points you guys are bringing up in terms of the episode parts whatever you want to call it I think this is very obviously one movie and I I have a huge um, hesitancy to call it a television show even though he's broken it up deliberately into three parts and he has a title sequence in each one and a little credit thing at the top and the reason for that is that none of them stand so are alone. you saying that this is Lord of the Rings where it's one book and three parts kind of yeah and I, I, like I'm gonna get into the Peter Jackson thing, which is I think he one of his biggest weaknesses yeah. is that he lacks a um, mastering of structure. But even in movies of his, I love, like he doesn't quite understand he his pacing works at a slightly a different way than other people's, and I don't think he quite comprehends the perfect moments to to weaponize whatever delivery way he's like given it. So um, earlier this year, our third episode of the podcast, we did can't get you out of my head, right? The Adam Curtis doc, seven yeah. hours. It's, it's six episodes. We I don't really like. We really why. like doing long. <laughs> we do because yeah, you can really dive into it. But what I'm saying is that, like, I kind of consider that one movie. But but he breaks it up into six episodes because he's like, you're never gonna watch seven hours straight unless you're one of those yeah. sickos. And that's kind of the same thing with this, is like, you're never going to watch the seven hours straight unless you're kind of a sicko. <laughs> um, so I don't quite understand why he picked three parts. I understand in terms of the first, because it has kind of a natural ending there, and the third, but the second one does seem a little bit um, lax in its, in its pacing, and it kind of reminds me of the two towers in the middle, especially in the extended version of the two towers in which you get that kind of long scenes of Infangorn forest with the ants. And you're just like, this is really lovely. And you love the characters and you, it's, it's a delight to watch, but in terms of a structure, in terms of pacing, it's, there's something lacking because you understand that if somebody doesn't come with the prerequisite love for whatever this material is, they're going to start losing interest. Yeah, I so see what you mean. I just watched, but this works, in, but this works Isn't into my next thing, Beatles which too? is the, I no, but this is my next thing, which is that, the Beatles, it's like, well, if anybody's not a fan, it's like, is there anybody in our world who's not somewhat of a fan of the Beatles? Like, I know there's some people who make a big show of being like, I don't actually like the Beatles, but they're literally like the superstructure of all pop music. Every single person who's a popular musician would say they like the Beatles. Every single basically rock band that's existed in the past 50 years is influenced by them in some way. Our entire pop culture is shaped by it. They're kind of inescapable. It's like saying, well, I don't actually like the Bible, but I like stories. And it's like, well, all your stories are influenced by the Bible. So in some way, if you like those stories, you kind of like the Bible. And it, it, that's, I know I'm d- dovetailing into like the sacrilegious stuff that the, we, the Beatles talked about themselves <laughs> in some culture. But <laughs> I really think this is there where it's, people are like, oh, you know, who's this for? Who's this for? Well, it's for Beatles fans. It's like, well, well who's going to watch this? It's like, well, Beatles if, fans. if my online looking around, it's like everybody's watching this. And I mean, people are, people nowadays are going to watch 10 hours of some crappy Netflix show, they're going to binge it in like two days. So it's not like watching yeah, seven I don't hours think... of the Beatles footage is like a big ask. It's true. If we're asking, if people are regularly, voluntarily binging half seasons, um, a seven hour documentary isn't really asking that much of anyone. Especially um, when it's not asking you to watch in one sitting. It's like, watch it as you want. Like, 
But that's why I don't quite understand why he doesn't break it down into smaller things. Maybe maybe revisits well, would give more of a but, structure. But, into but now now I'm sort of thinking about like what what Jesse was saying, and that um, maybe part of the length of the that second one is that it is this like uh, they're trying they they don't know what they're doing at that point. And they're all like they you we almost have to experience them flounder to use your words and then kind of like things start to come together like it's almost going to spiral out and then it yeah. starts to like turn in the other direction and then we really get that that payoff in the the third sorry Anders uh and that that but that is kind of what I was going to get at is that I think that there is a clear narrative structure here even if there are long stretches. So how would you summarize I guess I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, so I've just recently watched the Two Towers Extended Edition last weekend. I can see the comparison, but it, it, similarly, it's doing so much, it doesn't follow conventional narrative, you think of it as a, you know, film in, on its own, but as the middle chapter, as putting the pieces into play, as in allowing us to have these kind of character moments, if you want to call them that. I mean, these are real people in the case of Get Back. But I, I'm not sure that I, I would change too much in terms of the, the pacing or the structure. Maybe, you know, whether you go six chapters, th- three chapters, whatever, that, that's sort of arbitrary to me because I, I chose on my own to make it five, you know, whatever. Um, yeah. But in terms of, like, within individual sequences and the pacing of the days of the recording session and how that translates into amount of screen time, I think that the film does a good job in terms of that. I uh, the the director that I was name checking a lot when you guys were over watching it at uh, my place was was Robert Altman, and I think you could take episode two mm. and say well, that's kind of like Nashville or something like yeah. that. Like it's not all that. If you took episode two and then threw on the rooftop performance, it's like exactly Nashville almost <laughs> all the way through. Um, so there is that kind of like we're just a fly on the wall, just sort of watching meandering conversations, people passing through. You're catching little bits of conversation here and there. So, but at the same time, there might be even more of a narrative structure to this than there is in a in a in a regular Altman film. But the other thing I wanted to say too is that I think one of the unusual things about the Beatles is that obviously they were fascinating because of their music, but they were also always fascinating because of their personalities. And I don't know of any other band where people were that fascinated in terms of all four people in the band. Um, Obviously, you had two of the biggest personalities maybe ever in in music uh, with Mm -hmm. John Lennon and Paul McCartney, Um, purposefully very attention-seeking people. Uh, And then George Harrison was very fascinating in the the fact that he was in a band with these two people and was not an attention-seeking person. And then Ringo is just a very interesting person in in general, I think, as well. Ringo's just such a nice guy. He (laughs) seems so amicable. Very amicable and doesn't say that much really throughout the first half of this uh, documentary. But often says the right thing, right? Yeah. Or a useful thing. He doesn't speak often, but when he does, it seems like it often is like quite useful, or or it's just like a good quip on against someone. But and I I also like how he's he's at least at first like the most adamant person uh, in opposition to uh, Michael Lindsay Hogg, the director, who we should talk about to some degree because yes. he's a fascinating character in this film. It's what I find strange about the director of the original Let It Be is that you have this 
this uh it's kind of like this documentary remake and then the director of the original itself is like a character within it and so you have not only another director dealing with the footage that was shot by someone else but they're also portraying that director of that original in a certain way and we can talk about how does he come across uh, i mean the 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 beginning of the each of the parts, right, does this thing where it's like we had to be selective in our editing, of course. There's so much footage. We tried to be fair and even with everyone. And I actually think that if you especially take the the four Beatles, it's a pretty fair portrayal of all of them. And no one gets like, no one's the hero and no one's the bad guy. And like, I actually really commend the, the editing in that respect. Um, but how do some of these uh, per- more peripheral, right, the first layer of peripheral people, say like, uh, you know, the director, um, George Martin, the recording technician, uh, Glenn. How do these people come across in impressions? And maybe we want to start with uh, the director. I'm not even going to say his name because I'm just going to butcher it again. Michael Lindsay Hogg. <laughs> it's Michael. I just, I think I wrote it down in my notes. As yeah, Lindsay. I think you got it written down wrong. Oh, man. Did I read it wrong at the start? So may, maybe this will, maybe this is going to like, um, maybe you guys will greatly disagree. But I, so the four Beatles, and of course, I mean, John, George, Paul are all very very creative and like uh, like George is quiet but you can see the creativity kind of pulsating with these guys and Ringo's a little bit quieter in the creativity but it's always coming out in in like necessary ways and even the the whole sequence where George is helping with Octopus's Garden is like a nice little moment between yeah. the two of them building out a song but so these are you know four huge creative types in a room with a guy who has no ability to master them <laughs> is completely ineffectual in getting a like command control direction and it's it's actually like in you know i've I well, what is he doing there director <laughs> but i no, i'm but here, I, fancy, I'm I fancy myself a director right and so when like i can't imagine be dealing with stars the size of the beatles but like you'd want to have some vision to sell them on <laughs> and I, he's so ineffectual at selling yeah, he has a vision <laughs> and then when you watch let it no but then when you watch let, yeah, I know, Libya the hilarious thing of a thousand Arabs with tor- torchlights <laughs> with torchlights he says that like ten times in the movie he just really wants to go to Tripoli like so bad yeah, yeah I like but, Ringo's uh, statement about how you just want to go there to be comfortable and warm it has nothing to do with <laughs> us and your movie you just want to be comfortable no and it's true like that's that's a bit of a vision and Anton I know like when we were talking about this off air you had mentioned, like, he is coming into this with this idea of, like, I'm making a, a TV movie about the Beatles. And they almost assume, uh, instantly, like, shoot it down. And it's yeah. like, no, we're going to make an album. I, I do f- sympathize <laughs> with this situation because, so, one thing I noticed in this that really came out was that the Beatles, right, they, uh, their interaction with authority is interesting. Uh, they're kind of preoccupied with the Queen both to make jokes about her, but they always keep mentioning her. Uh, and you get comments like, uh, you know, in the what one point, I think, I can't remember if it was Paul or someone, it's just like, you know, like we need, when we lost our one, um, right, their one manager, they're like, we just don't have that sort of like father Brian, figure Brian, anymore. And you see all, even with like George Martin, the way that he has a good rapport with them. And part of it is that he does sort of take, um, it's not like a, an authoritarian authority towards him, but he does sometimes, he's just like, look guys, like, you've been playing Get Back, like, all day. we got to move on to the next it's thing. It's a paternal approach. There's a there's a certain paternal approach that they, they both, um, like, they sort of have, you know, like, they don't like people telling them what to do. They're obviously super famous and super um, uh, talented, but they also like some of that direction, the paternal direction. They and seem I think to respect that, Martin, in a way. I think that, that Michael doesn't know how to insert himself. No. He's not, like, a famous director. 
he thought he was coming on to make this TV show. And then literally they just shoot it down. And then he's like, he's like, okay, we'll go. We'll, like, he wants something for himself. I can at least sympathize with the fact that he's like, I, well, I want to have a big show. And it's like, you just see this thing. It's starting to spiral down the toilet. And he's just like trying to get something out of it. I can understand some of his frustration. At the same time, I don't think um, it's, he's weirdly not really like, like George is so good. George Martin is so good at um, steering them by letting their creativity, like and drawing it out of them. And he never, the Michael never does that, right? He like, he's never like, he's never like, okay, like pick up an idea of theirs and start to like pull it out. He keeps trying to like throw in these ideas that they clearly don't want to do. Yeah. I... Although there is the point where they do the rooftop and... I think that, uh, I, I mean, yeah, I am sympathetic. It's funny. One of the things that I noticed um, while watching this, and I, and I didn't, I wouldn't have thought this before watching it, but I realized suddenly how aware they were at this point of their own history. So, like, now you'd figure in, you know, now 50 years later we know all these things, but there's, like, very early on Paul makes this reference where Michael Lindsay Hogg is talking to them about, let's go to Tunisia and let's do, do the thing. And he says, Ringo doesn't want to go. And then he says, so it might be the three of us and Jimmy Nickel going, which is a reference to a tour they did in 1964 where Ringo had tonsillitis and couldn't go. So oh. they got a replacement drummer called Jimmy Nickel. And so that's his joke, right? Maybe we'll get Jimmy yeah. Nickel. But it's this, it's this very vague reference to something that happened in Beatles history yeah. five years earlier. And so they're they're aware of their kind of their own mythology at that point. And I would say Michael Lindsay Hogg is aware of it too. And he's coming at this going, You've done you've you're off of Sgt. Pepper, Beatles in India, the White Album, and what is the next big thing gonna be? Mm, what are we gonna yeah, do? It's gotta be he, yeah, it's up. gotta be let's keep going up. What's the next big thing? What are what are people gonna be talking about? And they're like, eh, let's just record an album. And so I can see from his perspective, he's probably like, what? Like, this, this is not the band I thought I was engaging with. And he keeps on saying, you're bigger than this. You're bigger than this. You're bigger yeah. than this. You are and the Beatles. You are but, the Beatles. That's right. Yeah. But is is it being un, ungenerous to him, though, to say that looking at Let It Be, his film version, and then looking at Peter Jackson's Get Back, and you see the fact that Let It Be, it's like you had access to all of this footage, and all you did was make a performed version of the album with a few moments of them bickering that made everybody seem like they hated each other. And it's like, that's what you got out of this. And, it, and there's these moments in get back that are like, so they're, they're just so invigorating in terms of showing the creative process, but also the personalities and giving you that, like, wow, these are real human beings and I'm having a moment with them. And he didn't decide to include it. I, I'm, I, I, again, I, it's a TV broadcast. It's 120 minutes, you know, an, an hour and 20 minutes. Like, how much could he actually do with that? There's always limitations on that. Is it really his call? But just the end product, you know, he doesn't have Paul just generating get back out of the blue. Like, just sitting there with her waiting for George yeah, to show an amazing up, moment. He just, amazing. He yeah. just rips it out of the ether. It's like, okay, he's just going to sit there and strum on his guitar until, until he gets something. And he's just making noises. And it's like, okay, there's something here, and let's keep going, let's keep going. And John's just kind of sitting there being like, okay, okay. And you know, like it starts getting bigger and bigger.
you know, you get that moment, or you get there's a there's a sequence in Let It Be where they're talking about the um, the visit to India, right? Yep. And all they talk about is the helicopter thing, but he misses out on the wonderful moment where George scolds John and Paul for saying like, "You went there looking for, you know, you went there looking to find yourselves," and like, if you wanted to find yourselves, we wouldn't be doing any of this silly stuff, like. You know, if we actually found ourselves, we wouldn't be celebrities. And Paul and John are just like, ah, oh, it's like uh, silly stuff you say. That's fine. Besides saying, you know, we probably should have sort of... Been ourselves. More. Yeah, a lot more, yeah. That, that is the, the biggest joke, the biggest joke, to be yourselves. Because that was the purpose of going there to try and find who yourself it really is. Yeah, well, we found that, didn't we? And if you were really yourself, you wouldn't be any of who we are now. Mm. But, like, that's... See, that's a moment of disagreement that speaks to these as people disagreeing. And not this idea of, like, well, this is what broke up the Beatles. They were bickering with each other. Yoko... Okay, can we just take a brief thing here with Yoko? Yeah. Because the way she's presented in the Let It Be movie versus this, like, I find her very annoying in Get Back, but she's essentially like passive she doesn't really do anything she's just there and in the let it be movie he often cuts in these shots of her sitting there as like pure opposition to the band right Mm. that's not actually how it was he'll cut up moments where she it's like she is this pillar in the middle blocking them in within the frame and it's it's like a directorial editorial decision he's like using her as something that separates but in this film she's just john's she clings to john yeah she's just just, they're attached at the hip it is like it is, but she's never cutting into no. their music. She's never. If anything, actually, like, she's like a, she's. If anything, she's like John's comfort, uh, like support person, who like allows John eventually to come out of his, uh, you know, his come down from <laughs> drug addiction, <laughs> you know, and, and and which which I think you know does to me was very obviously hanging over, especially the first episode. When they were yeah. when he washes him, his right? hair, when he washes yeah. his hair, and then he finally is, the you know, both him and Yoko kind of wake up a bit. You know, you have her freak out in the the second episode of that, right, uh, and things like that, which are kind of interesting. And it's funny Recognizing when Linda, that Yoko Linda's herself daughter then does her ver- own version of the Yoko yeah. freak out. I like that. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's great. I love that. Yeah. So I think that's very interesting. I, I think Jackson is is as again, it's not like he's he's not narrativizing in. In his editorial choices, the same way, same way. Not the same. He is, not the he same is way. narrativizing. He is. He's, he's. He's actually trying to create a narrative that is actually uh, more fair to everybody, in a sense. Well, it's not even fair. He's just being more generous in terms of direction. Like as a director, you have a, an emotional responsibility towards the actors, and in this, you have to kind of almost treat them like actors, yeah. but then also the yeah. characters. Like you have to do right by the presentation and it's difficult with the Beatles because the Beatles come with all these associations right especially now out of 50 years but he's using those associations to build into the portraits that he's putting on the film so he's he's drawing out or contrasting towards these ideas that you have of them to actually create a richer human character in the end I, I agree with that but I do think that there's like I don't know like um in terms of like right like there's so much footage there that probably there's so like well not so there's not an infinite number but there's many different stories you could tell by selecting particular footage right yeah, totally like you could probably find an edit that makes it look like Yoko is more the problem or you can make an edit that's more John George or more Paul or more George or you know 
Probably not. It'd be hard to do Ringo. I don't know. Sleepy but, um, Ringo. He's just always falling asleep. <laughs> yeah, they, they, yeah. It's Ringo falling asleep, and that's every every song. They'll just cut that in. Um, but like, what I found interesting in reading a, a bit about the the production was just of of Get Back was that Jackson was like, oh, like I watched, you know, like when he went through all the footage, he was like, I was excited to sort of discover that some of the sort of the stories that got attached to the Let It Be um, development aren't necessarily true and part of me is like okay like one is this your um like is is this a promotional pitch you know like because you have to distinguish why are we making this when we already have let it be um how are we going to sell this as something you need to watch out of the footage but there's also a sense that like is this is this jackson telling the version he wishes or is this also the version that if you look at all the people who are producing it everyone is involved so everyone Right. Like, well, I mean, no, two of them are dead, but like uh, everyone has a representative here and no one would have let this come out if it was the John's the fault version. So the even handedness is both I th- like it's nice to see. And I think there's a genuineness to it, like in in, in the interactions. But it's also um, I think it was partly required by the uh, the powers who be. But remember that, like, Paul did not want this footage to ever be like he'd made this comment not so long ago, not like within the last 10 years, I think where he was like, Oh, this footage is never going to see the light of day during my lifetime. Hmm. And then they kind of had a, him and Ringo kind of changed their mind. And they're like, actually for the 50th, Peter Jackson kind of sold them on this vision. And they're like, okay, we'll allow it. We're going to do that for the 50th anniversary of let it be. And so I think there at some point there, I don't know whether it's like, you know, we're not privy to the conversations between those guys. But is it Jackson's vision selling them on this idea of fairness and this kind of more um, holistic portrait of the Beatles as a unit and like full human beings? Or is it Paul and Ringo's age kind of being like, I'm, I don't hold these disputes as precious anymore because mm-hmm. we've, we haven't had John and George around for so long that I feel so fondly about them now that the disagreements are a part of the thing I love about yeah. them. But I think it's also that like, when you watch this movie, it's not. This isn't a movie about the breakdown of the Beatles. This is a movie about um, the ups and downs of a band, but the creative process. And it ends off with like the part three makes it. And part of the part three is just like, wow, like these guys create and work well together. And if if that's what Jackson sold them on, in the sense of like, like you know, it's like. I want to show a story of not of like the Beatles falling apart, which is what people always think is going on here. This is actually a story about the Beatles and there's some difficult stuff and it's almost not going to happen, but they actually kind of bring it together. And it also reaffirms that these guys together, all four of them did amazing stuff. That, I don't know, that's my takeaway. Well, I was just going to say one thing that I, that I, I've been talking about is with some people and i talked about this on my on my podcast a little bit but when let it be came out the the original movie in in 1970 it was almost universally understood to be the beatles breakup movie but um aaron maybe you you could back this up because you watched it as well it's it's not really that either and i think that the reason why that that movie has that attached to it is because mostly because of when it comes out. It comes out about a month after yeah. it's announced that the Beatles have broken up. And in fact, they broke up months and months before that as well. They break up in September of 69. Yeah. 
the announcement comes out in April of 70. Then the Let It Be movie comes out in May of 1970. And so it has, I think a lot of people are going to that movie with it being very fresh in their minds. This band broke up. This is about the recording of the album, which also just came out. As far as we know, that's the last Beatles album. So this was about the recording of the last Beatles album, even though it wasn't. And and that's, that's what's all attached to this movie. And yeah, the movie is, I think, I agree with what Aaron's saying. I really don't know what was behind some of Michael Lindsay Hogg's uh, decisions when he was, when he was editing that movie together. But, uh, and so you do see a lot of weird sort of dark moments in it, but you see a lot of light moments in the original movie as well. And so, um, but, so I think in some ways the mo- this movie is a counter narrative, not so much to the original movie, but to the kind of reputation that that original movie mm. has, mm-hmm. yeah, and, yeah. It's, and 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 it's going to live on because no one has seen that original movie because it hasn't really been made available to the public anyway. Mm-hmm. So might as well put out this as a, as a sort of counter narrative to it. The other thing that I would say too is uh, it is true. I'm sure that this movie could be edited in in lots of different ways, and other footage could be used to to tell a different story. But I, on some level, I do think that. Because we see so much in this version where it's still very fascinating to me, but not a lot happens, I wonder how much footage there is that exists where things are really happening that that Jackson didn't use. Like, I wonder if there's really juicy bits on the cutting room floor. Yeah. And if there are, what you know, how come they're, they're not in here? But... Yeah, or do we have like twenty hours of them waiting for like Glenn to finish the setup? And it's like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, Glenn. <laughs> I feel like, like that's possible. <laughs> or just about another twenty times Michael Lindsay Hogg talked about the crowd in, in uh, Tunisia. <laughs> yeah. Libya, we're going. <laughs> well, so if we're talking about things that he included, um, if we can steer towards like Jackson's editorial decisions here, mm-hmm, there yes, are some. Yes. There are some moments in this film that. Like, beyond the kind of creative process ones, like I pointed out, like Paul bringing it out of the ether, about the disagreements, it has that incredible moment of just the audio recording of John and Paul having the private yeah. conversation in, oh, the, in the other room. Oh, and, like, man. it is so juicy, and but it's so, like, it clarifies so much, and it actually is, like, it's reassuring in a way to watch that as you understand these two individuals and the narrative that is built up in the wake of the Beatles falling apart about that it's between them two and that is the foundational like disagreements mm-hmm. and the way that their self-awareness like do you find like to me that that conversation which is just like a if you haven't watched it it's a it's just an audio recording they hid a microphone <laughs> in a flower pot when John and Paul were having a difficult conversation over lunch and what's amazing about this is like, wow, this is such a discovery. And you're like, in the sense of like everyone who's ever made a biopic is always thought like, Oh, if only we could know what these two main individuals said behind closed doors and lo and behold, they've literally (laughs) dug up a recording of behind closed doors, the conversation between the two, like your main, uh, you know, power brokers in the band had, talking about their differences. It's it's astonishing that they have that. Because he knows where I'm about. I do think that he's right. Yes, that's why I think we got the problem, The four of us, you go on my George, one way, and me another. But I know it will apply to all of us if one day 
You can all be sending, like you send, George can be really fine. I mean, like he plays, not like, like he can make play. Like. Yeah, okay, because you're a friend, but how you play won't be like you want him to play. And that's what we do, and that's what you do today. Yeah. It, it like to, that I agree that that I was astonished that they had that. There are moments where you're like, this can't be real. Yeah, like, that, it's like someone, someone like wrote how this. this actually happens, right? And that's the thing that I think Jackson's film does a good job of like highlighting those moments. And as both Aaron and Jesse said, also like posing this as a counter narrative. You know, you, there's the line in the original trailer. I think where where Paul makes you know oh, people are gonna be joking in forty years that you know the bet broke up because Yoko sat in an amp, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like it's like there, there's this this self consciousness about it uh, as this sort of uh, culmination of, of all the things that a lot of fans have wanted for so long. So to me, it's like I, yeah, I can't fault it on that. It's and I th- I think it was also a smart choice to lean into and remind us all kind of how astonishing it is that. The Beatles did their last live performance on a rooftop. Mm-hmm. Like that's like something again because it's the Beatles and it happened. We didn't. We don't take a step back and be like that's actually like kind of like oh. a ridiculous like story ending to like if you're making a movie about this band and then they get up on a rooftop and play well, and like everyone. In lo- you know, you, you were talking about though about like this as a sort of Jackson as a journalistic. Uh, documentarian trying to sell this, and I, I kept thinking about the lines in Almost Famous when Lester Bangs is like, "Just, t- just tell them it's a, it's a think piece about a, a mid-level band struggling to come to grips with the, you know, their emerging start." <laughs> yeah. And then you know, Ben Fontoura is really sounds like, "Oh, juicy! This is amazing!" You know, I, that's what I was imagining. You know. Yeah. Aaron, what what do you what? No, I was gonna say is that the thing that I find um, so interesting about his presentation of the footage is how much he centers the counter to them on the rooftop with the policeman. And it's it's hilarious because it, you know, it's a documentary aspect. It's a thing that you can't fit into a shorter film because it has no real bearing on on like the performance, right? They're just kind of fluttering about as this hilarious little thing where you get the constable show up and then the sergeant comes in and it's like, oh, where, can you turn it down? It's like, oh, no, we can't. Actually, we'll try and turn it down and then like goes away for 15 minutes and doesn't do anything and then he comes back. But it's it's the fact that Again, this is building into our mm. understanding of the Beatles, their humorous side. It plays like a gag from Hard Day's Night, the movie. Yeah, yeah. The bo- and so the it's Jackson, the, again, the using the available footage to present the Beatles in this late stage in a way that has a nice mirror to their early presentation in film. So it's like continuing the idea of, well, those lads are getting into trouble with yep. the, you know, the bobbies and it's going to, yep. it's going to be something funny. <laughs> but it, it's also like, it's also Jack, like rewatching uh, Fellowship of the Ring, like the way Jackson utilizes just like basic, what's classic Hollywood storytelling. So literally he creates tension yeah, for this concert editing. by being like, oh, the policeman's at the door. Is he going to get closer? Is he going to shut down the concert? And he keeps going back and forth just like, the most basic classic editing tension creation you can do but it kind of works like <laughs> yeah i mean they, the one thing i don't remember seeing in the original movie is is mccartney's reaction when he first sees the police yeah. and that is really nicely captured in this and he is ecstatic that they are okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah he realizes this is this is the big payoff that they've been looking for in, well, didn't they want to go into Parliament? And that was the joke, right? That they were going to yeah. Play, and he get wants to be pulled in. out, dragged <laughs> yeah. out. But he's like, but then we'd actually be in prison, like. <laughs> but uh, like 
There's also another amazing moment that, again, seems like too good to be true, is when they're like, then uh, then Michael and George Martin had an idea for where they were going to do their concert. And then we just see them walk up to Paul, and you see Paul's face go like, ah. he, like his, eye, his eyebrows raise up, and he has like a smile on his face, and you're like, oh my goodness, like, is this actually what, or did someone just tell him a joke? Like, is this actually them like, we're going to go on the roof and play. And he's just like, Oh, amazing. Like, <laughs> see, th- this is almost another example of, um, Jackson using the footage available, the mythos of the Beatles to kind of go full circle with how much they influenced the pop culture at large and film entertainment specifically, because you take things like hard days night, you take some of their concert movies. Um, it's, it's presented in like a pseudo documentary style. Right. And it's, it's actually kind of like a precursor to reality TV. And that moment you just described is 100% a reality TV moment that would be spoofed in, like, The Office. It's yep. the Jim looks at the camera shot, right? Yeah. And it's, it's interesting to then take all this available footage that was never actually presented in a way to be a proto you know reality tv 30 yes, years before yes. it existed but it's like this exi- this possibility always existed there so i'm gonna finally put the cat like the period on the sentence and it's i'm gonna turn it into what it always could have been and it still like influenced all that stuff i'm just gonna draw out that like no we can also give credit that the beatles influenced this and that and that other aspect of our pop culture and, and the way mtv we define our stories. and rock music videos and and all it, that stuff it is a it is amazing how like i was i was saying this to my wife that was just like you know one of the most astonishing things and amazing things about this documentary is just that it's like you know like if someone put out a documentary like this about bieber or someone like who cares because like everyone has a phone and is recording everything around everyone all the time now and like one of the amazing things about this is just that you're like that they have just all this footage showing all the things that we just wouldn't expect that would be possible in like 1969 that you just have like the regular moments of like someone's like goofing around someone's just hanging out which you're right like so in a weird sense like this then this it turns uh like the let it be or get back project into like a weird precursor to all this other stuff which now influences our pop culture and our pop music and it it just once again sort of almost establishes the beatles as like you know the the prototype for everything that's come after and weirdly now i'm just starting to think like peter jackson's also turned uh the Get Back Project, like, let it be into the uh, sequel to Hard Day's Night. Like, I think, I actually think you're right that, like, because what happens in Hard Day's Night? There's four young lads who, uh, you know, right? They have to put on a show. They don't want to. They don't want to. They're goofing around a lot of the time. There's some people, like, leading them around. And then at the end, they play a big show, and it's great. And, like, that's kind of, like, what we get here, except it's them later. And there's, like, a weird... You know, like, then you start yeah. to be like, okay, like, how much of is the real Beatles in the Hard Day's Night? Uh, yeah. Just, sorry, just, and just to, to, to reinforce that a little bit, one of the very first lines that Jackson chooses to include in an exchange between John and Paul is a line that they're doing, again, re- recognizing their own mythology, is a line from A Hard Day's Night. Oh, what what is it? Uh... Yeah, John says, who's that little old man in talking man. about the Hare Krishna? Oh. In, in A Hard Day's Night, they're talking about yeah. Paul's grandfather. Paul's yeah. Grandfather. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, in the, yeah, you're right. In the way that Paul's always like, oh, when we're in Hamburg, like, oh, like, it was just mm-hmm. the sound was amazing. Like, you're right. Like, they're always, they have, they're like referencing all the different points in their, right, they're what, like a, a decade and a half 
time as a band, but like yeah. it's such like an epic journey. But yeah, you're right. They're very aware of it and pointing to it. Yeah, but I think the other thing that you you know you pointed out, going back to this, uh, the the access to the footage and how much footage there is, I think it's worth noting that like in 1969, this would have been an extravagant cost to record that much footage, right? George like, Martin makes the point yeah, about mu- the tape film, that they're wasting when they're It's very expensive, yeah. right? Like this is actually one of the things that actually not to get into too much other things, but one of the reasons why people who think that the moon landing stuff was faked, uh, it's like, you know that video didn't exist. <laughs> like, you can't actually record longer than reels of film, uh, right, continuously in 1969 and very easily. It didn't really exist as a technology at that level of quality, right? Um, now, maybe this is a thing to talk about film technology and film quality. It's worth talking about Jackson's other choice to kind of digitally clean up the footage. Yeah. You know, Anton, you said you really liked it. I think I, I love this movie. I think it's pretty clear that we're I think it's one of the best things of the year. I do have slight reservations about the how digitally clean to jump off the it's very clean looking it is. Um very clean. I I like the idea of cl- like, very clean man. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh polishing it up. But I guess I, I doesn't, didn't necessarily need it to be kind of like, there are moments that almost the digital uh, enhancement almost looks slightly uncanny at moments. Maybe yes, I'm not yes. sure. If it's, but I, so I would but, have, okay. I would have preferred to just keep the, the, the footage sharper, better, but more of an original like seventies film grain in some sense. But yeah. See, here's, here's what I, here's, I'm thinking of this also, right. As the, uh, the next documentary by Peter Jackson after uh, They Shall Not Grow Old. And one of the weird things about that movie um, was that on paper, it sounds like a bad idea to me. But it works. You're right. It does. What I mean is like, like, let's restore it. And like, usually I'm the kind of person, right? I just bristle at the idea of like coloring, like black and white footage. But but he had a specific purpose there, right? I know, but I'm wondering if there's... Larger I guess than, what it, like to return it to some sense of reality, like so playing with the uh, film playback. But there's still cool moments in that film where you get a sense of like also how like novel uh, cinema was at the time. So like the soldiers yes. are constantly looking at the camera, they're constantly yeah, they, they can't very like they, they can't not look at because it, it was a sort of still novel technology. It's still sort of like everyone, there's a camera, everyone get in front yeah. of it and like do smile, a, do a, a pose, smile, it, and it pose. reminds you actually they start to copy the. Uh, elements of silent cinema even in the way they like yeah. pose themselves and things like that so these some of these men have already you know uh, encountered cinema in their early teens uh, and that so this in this case though um, I'm, I'm not so you quite feel, sure is it distancing that, for you then? Is so that? for me it distances it rather than making me yes. feel I'm back in 1969 there a little okay. bit just a little bit I'm actually, first, but I'm, I do I'm like it because that... it is, the clarity is nice but you know I, I guess I would have preferred like a the way some certain restorations of like period 60s films have looked so uh, pristine, but in the sense that like I'm seeing them as if they were a brand new movie of that time, but not yes. changing it to be kind of like uh, See, too shiny. Yeah. So I think in both these film projects, one of the approaches, and you can dispute this, and it probably shouldn't be done in every project, but it's just like I think the point is to make people forget about the time difference. I think that's actually like the. But how I can you not ge- with the clothes and everything? No, I know, but I think that's Jackson's approach in both of these. Is that he turns it prince and tense? Yes, he, like he's trying to make it be like, not you to think like, oh, like what what is it like to be back in the sixties? It's almost more like like what it's like if the Beatles are just like, yeah, like Can't, in but, my world. 
what is we, it like, if let's... World War One was just in my world, not this thing yeah. I heard about a hundred years ago? Let's not forget that Jackson also did. Well, he's also like, the, yeah. the sixty frame. No, but the, the frame the Hobbit rate, movies yeah. in, in yeah. The man can't help himself from rate. making things. He's, no, and, and I like his experimentation. Looking. I really he's appreciate. He's done controversial it. Yeah. things to try to make the visual style of his movies more immersive. Not everybody likes yeah. it. Je- Jesse, uh, do you know much about like Jackson's Hobbit? Or did you see them? Did you like that look? Or how do you feel about the restoration here? Well, Especially since I, you've seen the old Let It Be. Yeah, well, I will say I don't I don't know if I had a particularly bad copy of, of Let It Be. And also, as I say, when I watched it the last time, it was on a VHS tape that was probably already about 15 years old at that mm. point. So I'm not even sure how good the quality was. And that was a dub. But everything that I have heard about about that movie, people talking about it, was that it really looked terrible. Like, it just had a terrible look. And I don't know if they talk a little bit about that in this movie. It's, again, interesting that Jackson decides to include it, where they talk about turning the movie from a TV special into a, into a theatrical release. And Paul says, you can't do that. They're going to have to blow up 16-millimeter film. And George says, oh, it'll be fine. It'll look fine. It's, again, just another weird thing for them to, to argue about. <laughs> they really no. don't get along at all throughout this. But... And then Michael Lindsay Hogg steps in and says, oh, it'll probably be okay. Now, I don't know if that's the reason why the original movie, to me, always looked very grainy and, and, and very poor. But uh, it, it, ne- it never looked all that all that good. So they probably blew um, it up 16 to, to 35 and then made the VHS from the blown up 35 and probably didn't even go direct back, right? Like, Yeah, probably not. I would mm-hmm. imagine it probably didn't. Now, I, I also agree that there is an uncanny sort of... Um, feeling to to this film i don't want to sound like the guy who's just constantly defending this movie because i'm not it's by no means perfect but there is something about that sort of dreamlike quality that i can appreciate i would agree with that i was actually going to say that that's the that's the only defense to me that could justify it yeah because it isn't it's not you you do sort of there's something going on there's almost like I was watching Do the Right Thing the other day, and that movie has a kind of dreamlike quality to it as well. And um, the lighting, and yeah. yeah, the way he uses it. I said I was talking to somebody. I said it's almost like it's almost like a musical without people breaking into song. Mm-hmm. And catching um, angles, the colors, yeah, yeah. And so this is obviously there's a lot of singing in it, but there is a kind of there is that kind of dreaminess to it, especially when they're in that Twickingham film studio and they've got mm-hmm. all the colored lights on them and everything. I really like, like that. that actually. Yeah, I do too. So there is a there is a kind of I like it cuz it's 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 still quite filmic in a way. There's still a uh, um an artistic quality to the to the way that it looks. And that's not all out of keeping with the Beatles, right? There was always some kind of style at work in whatever it mm-hmm. was that they were doing. So, um you know, I I I I can appreciate that quality. I was wondering if you guys have any final thoughts you wanted to say on the the movie whether on jackson on the beatles anders anything you know i i thought it would be good but i I actually it did exceed my expectations like it wasn't it's definitely one of my very favorite films of the year like at this point definitely top two or three and so um not that everything is has to be (laughs) crammed into that idea of a list because i think everything has to be ranked yeah, exactly. Hierarchy. We got to do a three brothers film. Go check the ra- rating. We rate. We rate the three episodes of. No, we don't. But um, the <laughs> one, I, three, I, two. Yeah, <laughs> rank them and then, let's rank them and then one out of ten for each episode yeah, yeah. right now. 
but the no but i not only is it a film that i think is very very good i it's a film i expect to unlike many films that you know you watch in a given year i expect to return to it i expect to watch parts of it uh maybe semi-frequently and to to just uh you know i actually hope that it, it gets a physical uh blu-ray release at some point so that you know i don't have to worry about you know disney uh vaulting it or something like that I guess I'm just going to go back to like the just reiterate my initial thought yep, with this movie, yep. which is that it's very rare to come across a film that expresses um, the creative process so in such a pure manner and in and in a way that is not just not just um, capturing the highs and lows and the emotions that are involved in it, but also in a way that I find like inspirational and taps into part of the reason why I like the Beatles in the first place is that they inspire you to like, well, it's just, you know, three chords and a, and a bass beat, like <laughs> just pick up the guitar and do it yourself. It's not like super hard. It's not, you know, you don't need to be an expert to get into it and tap into it. And it, it does remind me of those days of, you know, shooting days on films or time when you're putting together like a theatrical production and you're just spending all day with creative people and you're just you know you're disagreeing you're getting yeah. to fights but you're coming up with amazing ideas in the downtime and the downtime is so key to the creativity and it's something that we easily miss in our era of like oversaturation internet there's no such thing as boredom nowadays in that kind of you just sit with it yeah without without a phone to look at so they have to just sit with the the process jesse any final thoughts yeah, I might just respond as as a as a Beatles fan here and yeah. say um, in res, in res, you know just to continue the conversation about how the movie operates as a counter narrative, it's always irked me a little bit how a lot of Beatles fans will sort of impose their own preferences on on the band, and the story that they so often seem to tell is that you know you're either a, a John person or you're a Paul person, and if you're a John person. Your story is John never liked Paul. And if you're a Paul person, your story is that Paul never liked John or that Paul was vastly more talented than John or something like that. And that always kind of rubbed me the wrong way. And I think that if one of the things that this movie does, and I was watching it with with, uh, my partner the other night, and, and as we were watching it, episode two, she said, this this movie is really the John and Paul show. And, and in many ways it is. It's John and Paul really trying to impress each other for uh, two <laughs> hours. It's not them hating each other. It's not them feeling superior to one another, but they're really trying to impress one another as, as uh, people who respect each other's talents. And then there's George who's sitting there with all things must pass in his back pocket, kind of just watching them carry on for <laughs> hours. Um, to me, that's kind of the very interesting um, story that this movie tells. And I hope that that does kind of challenge that sort of, kind of binary thinking that a lot of people impose on this band i mean it has many values but i think that's one of the big values that i think this movie might have definitely i yeah i'm i'm excited about how i think that this movie is gonna um not only rekindle my own affection for the beatles and going back and re-listening to their music but also for like a new generation of people who've heard of the Beatles but haven't really dug into them for another time but like I kind of have certain movies that I tend to like do work towards uh one of them being Inception or uh, Oddly Darkest Hour the Winston Churchill biopic and but in a kind of different way I can see this movie being the kind of movie that I'll throw on and do some work to because 
as maybe to take Anders' words to end things off, it has a really good vibe, and that's one of his successes. Jesse, thanks so much for joining us for this conversation. Um, why don't you just take a moment, tell our listeners, uh, you know, what's your podcast, what's it about, and where they can find you. Yeah, thanks. Uh, so, yeah, my podcast is Jay Hutch Talks Too Much. Uh, it's on YouTube, <laughs> so you can search it up uh, that way. Just search up Jay Hutch Talks Too Much. There's an audio version of it on on Apple uh, because I, I don't know how to get it up on any other platforms, but that's uh, that's the one that I use. And uh, basically the, the goal of it was um, kind of uh, a challenge a, a common conception that uh, you should – mostly appeal to what people are interested in now and teach things to people that they're already interested in. So I'm trying mm-hmm. to challenge that and um, and do my best to try to make people as excited about things that they might not know about or might have heard about but might be um, intimidated, too intimidated to read or to watch. So we talk a lot about movies and books and politics at times. And um, yeah, so that's it. Fantastic. Thanks. Thanks so much Thanks for joining so much, us. And I, I, I love I, I love the the podcast title and I think it's the kind it's hopefully uh, competing with three brothers who also like really like to hear the sound of their own voice wasn't wasn't too bad. Uh, <laughs> no, it's good. I hope I, I hope uh, that I, I didn't talk too much here either. So <laughs> it's is we all love to talk. So great to have you on. Great to hopefully be here, guys. Thanks again so much. Sometime. And congratulations on your uh, your year anniversary. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks, Mo. I'd like to say thank you on behalf of the group and ourselves. I hope we pass the audition. <laughs> so, Anders and Aaron, I've said this to you before, but I'm always struck by your fixation or perhaps utilization of two patterns to guide your viewings and discussions about movies. First, you both always know who in the world his film has just died. So you both always set up the in-remembrance pieces for our site. Second, you both really seem to pay attention to 20-year anniversaries for movies. Anyways, you've both been reminding me all year long, and I think Anders was like last January sending out the group text that this December marks 20 years since the release of The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. A film that arrived with much celebration, which I think has certainly established itself as a modern classic. Legend tells of a ring created by an ancient evil that gave its wearer the power to enslave the world. Believed lost for centuries, it has now been found. Is it secret? Is it safe? Since we've been discussing Jackson's new endeavors, why don't we each say a few words about the Fellowship of the Ring, maybe the trilogy as a whole, after 20 years? Anders, does it still hold up? Is it still a masterpiece? It, it definitely is. It, it's, uh, if anything, it is more special today than it was 20 years ago. Which, which is saying a lot, because I think people forget the, that nobody had ever really done a successful... Uh, high fantasy film of this kind before, right? And it was a huge gamble to film the three three films back all you know all in one giant shoot. Yep. Um, 
utilizing a at that time you know a relatively unknown special effects team weta workshops um and you know for them to go on to then you know win the academy award for the third film and everything you can talk all that stuff up and up and how it pushed use of motion capture with Gollum forward and all these kind of things but but just fellowship is such a rare and special film now because in, a, in an era where the, the treatment of IP intellectual property and stories if you want to call it that is so um, either focused on fan fan service and orientation or uh, you know and issues of questions of how accurate and you know uh, and all that kind of thing I mean Jackson's film you know, I think some hardcore Tolkien fans take issue with it still. Uh, some of the deletions, his, his tonal yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, I still the, do. You know, but. his, yeah, and I think that's fair. But but that film, there's also a, a light touch to it. There is moments, especially in its extended uh, edition, that, you know, the, the parts in Hobbiton, the uh, Rivendell, then the, the climax scene with Gandalf versus the Balrog. It, it plays so well, so I think I, you know, I said I said about it that it is in some ways in, almost more modest than one would expect in some of its moments, or quieter, or or more restrained than some people remember, and yet it, it packs a real emotional punch. So it's you know, uh, it's not a perfect film in terms of if any film is in terms of a I mean, you know, it doesn't mean this last final word even on Tolkien or anything like that, but it is uh, it is definitely absolutely one of my favorite films and having not watched it for quite some time um uh it's been a joy to revisit it Aaron, i i struggled to think of a movie that's more beloved in like a cultural sense too it, it would have to just be like the original star wars movies and i think of that in terms of maybe how some much disney it movies yeah but like think how much it's influenced hollywood but then also just how much ordinary people love it and it, it taps into something um, that you know, it captures what's exciting about movies. It captures kind of deep emotional things that they hold true about goodness in the world. Um, but it's also like accessible on such a level, and it is an escape. And so, even in a movie like Dune this year, that you that you can see how much it's influenced by Fellowship of the Ring specifically, in the way that it presents this strange world on screen, mm-hmm. the way that it kind of structures it and, and it introduces you to this world, and relies on the emotions of like awe to carry forward and, and, and translate the strangeness into a way that like people can really understand. And then the other way is I find it interesting how much Fellowship of the Ring and the whole trilogy and kind of, I always think of um, this trilogy and the Matrix movies and the Star Wars prequels as all kind of the last gasp of old Hollywood, not old Hollywood, but the 90s Hollywood before you transition to the Marvel era, the Christopher Nolan era. Mm-hmm. Um, Pirates of Caribbean, Caribbean movies are kind of the transition films that bridge yeah. between old Disney, new Disney, um, because it's using the technologies of digital cinema in, in really groundbreaking ways. But so many of its best things are like the makeup, its use of locations. It can't. It cannot be stated enough how well he uses New Zealand. Yeah. To create. That really is amazing. Middle Earth, and then it's. I just have to keep going back to it's. It's that purity, that earnestness, that is not diluted by some kind of political, or, you know, ideological or or identitarian aspect like it the movie wants you to believe in yourself and the goodness in you so much more but it never makes it a point of the movie it's more Mm -hmm. of like you can see the goodness in frodo in yourself and sam in yourself it's bravery it's courage it's these things that we can all agree on but the movie you know that's not the message of the movie 
and it's so implicit with it. And I, I really appreciate that watching today because there is there is a purity in that kind of storytelling and an um an earnestness that is just hard to top when i when i think about movies that are pitched at the largest audience possible yeah i i I would add to that that yeah there's no uh there's jokes but and humor but there's no lots uh, of it and lots of and but there's no um the kind of distancing i don't people have accused you know joss whedon type humor which which has its place but that kind of ironic he's not ironic as you said it's earnest and but there's also an elegiac element to them that he preserves from tolkien's works which is that this is it this is the end of an age this is the passing of an old world you can't actually go back to this world it's a lost age yeah well then that gives me a a good bridge okay i have five points i want to talk about um I'm going to blast them off really quick. But one, what you're talking about here with the themes, how they speak so strongly still. And I think in that prologue, which is perhaps the best part of the movie, in which I think, Aaron, you were pointing out that Dune draws on, that you take a prologue, which doesn't fit into the actual uh, novel, but you use that to um, set up the world for the audience in a very coherent, clear way, but also set the tone. But that, that prologue also contains like the essence of that that elegy and that tone that that sets up the the whole movie. This right, the world has changed; it's passed away. And I think you're right that the it has such strong themes about heroism, about what you do with the time you were given, which really spoke to me in uh, you know 2021 in our sort of pandemic world. Like, what do you do with the time you have? You can't change the time, but you have to you know try to achieve your heroism within it. Um, so the themes are still amazing. Um, Looking back, you're like, it's just such a damn gamble that they made this movie, and what a payoff, right? Like, su- like I can't believe they made this movie, still. Shoot it all at once for the budget, with relatively uh, either unknown or second-tier actors, and but then it pays off for all those Academy Awards in the box office. But then also the influence, and in how so many blockbusters since then, um, they just even use Jackson's, the way he shoots his action, um, the way... He alternates between right, like he 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 helps to codify for the the new millennium, the, sort of the the Lucas uh, establishing shot. Then you move into close ups and like the, just the way he, like he he tells his stories. Um, as a Tolkien adaptation, I'm at a point now with twenty years where it's like I don't agree with everything about this adaptation, but I'm fine with that. And I actually just like I like what he did with it. It's not the fellowship I w- would do myself, but that's cool. And he does. They, it's still so good. Uh, just lastly, it's such a classic. And Aaron mentioned uh, the Matrix and revisiting both those movies um, at this sort of two-decade distance. I'm just like, these two movies are now so classic that it's so classic, like the original Star Wars, where it's almost hard to like get back to the point where you're like, I don't know every single line, where so many lines are not being repeated by everyone around me all the time. So as much as I loved revisiting Fellowship, I was like, ah, like, it would be nice to go back and see the movie not as super, super, like, the classic it now is. But, again, the world's changed and you can't go back. I wish the ring had never come to me. I wish none of this had happened. So do all who live to see such times, but that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. There are other forces at work in this world, Frodo, besides the will of evil. Do 
Silver was meant to find the ring, in which case you also were meant to have it. And that is an encouraging thought. Thanks for listening. Um, as always, like, subscribe, and rate if you can. And we look forward to 2022 with you and for talking good conversations about film. Goodbye, Mr. Holmes. I bid you farewell. <laughs>